Welcome again here on the Road Trip uh, podcast. And uh, we left off with the N6 last time, Dedrick, and now we're carrying on to the N7. So, yeah, tell us what's on the N7. Uh, yeah, yesterday, or uh, the, the, the previous one that we did, the N6, I mean, that was, that was a long one. I see the podcast eventually wound up. It was just over an hour or so. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got we got a little bit involved with it. That, that's actually very cool. But yeah. I think today we, we, we do the N7. Now, the N7 is the road that goes up from, basically from Cape Town, right up to the border with Namibia. Right up the West Coast, West Coast Drive, and well, the West Coast is one of my, my favorite areas in the country. It's one of those, yeah, one of the kind of spots where it's, it's just like chill. It's just chill, chill territory. You you lose, yes. you lose the urgency, I've, and you lose the cell phone, and you sit on the beach, and you just chill in the desert landscapes and stuff. It's just awesome. Yeah. I think this is going to be a two part one. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. The N the seven is not 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 actually that long, but it's just. This is a beautiful countryside. Now the, the, the N7, um, actually branches off the N1 just as the N1 hits at a past century city in, in Cape Town, but it's actually born a little bit further south on the M7, the Mike 7. And that comes yeah. up right from, uh, Philippi in Cape Town, in the bottom end of Cape Town. You go up past Guguletu through Eppington or through Epping rather. And the first, the first little interesting spot there is just in Goodwood. There's a cemetery just, uh, as you sort of hitting Goodwood Parrow area. There's a little place called the Voltemata Cemetery. Oh, yeah. uh, Volrad Voltemata was that character rode his horse in and out of the ocean to go and rescue those folks off the, off that sea. Yes. But there's a character there. Who's buried, uh, buried there? A guy by the name of John Xavier Merriman. Now, okay. I, don't, I don't think we've ever spoken about this guy. No, it doesn't sound um, familiar. <laughs> um, he, 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 he was born 1841. He died, died 1926. But he was the last prime minister of the Cape Colony before South Africa became a union in 1910. And again, we've spoken about this quite often in that after the Anglo-Boer War, South Africa was administered as four separate um, yes. colonies, colonies, territories. I'm not sure. I think they were called colonies. Yeah, the Cape Colony, yeah. the Free State, Natal and Transvaal, they were administered separately. And eventually in 1910, um, Union of South Africa is achieved. And that's when the, the modern form of South Africa actually took shape. But uh he was the last prime minister of the colony. He he actually ran against Louis Puerta to become the first prime minister of the Union. And Puerta then was the prime minister of the Transvaal. Merriman is prime minister of the Cape Colony, and they sort of ran against each other, and um old Louis Louis Puerta took took the colours as it were. Yeah. And he came out to Cape in the Cape Colony at the age of eight. His, his father was an Anglican preacher and father eventually became Bishop of Grahamstown. And he was first educated in Rondebosch. He then went back to England. He 
came back to South Africa. He tried to be a farmer. He worked as a land surveyor for a while. And then sort of the late 1860s or so, he decides, no, 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 this, this stuff is not for him. And he's going to start, um, he started entering politics. Now, we've touched on this thing before that there's nothing new in politics or history. And even today, we have this movement that wants to make the Cape an independent area of South Africa. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> and even during Merriman's time, now we're talking the late 1860s, 1870s, and he was promoting a, a self-responsible government for the Cape Colony. <laughs> <laughs> and it's happening again. <laughs> and it's happening again because Cape, the Cape or the Western Cape seems to be uh, – one of the few areas that manages to look after themselves and actually do it yeah. properly. Yes. So, uh, you know, I just, I just find this so fascinating. And I think the time we, we, we touched on this with the history of this thing was with, um, um, uh, when we were down in, in, in KZN at one stage and we were talking at that stage about, um, Adam Cook and his movement down to the Eastern Cape. And we were talking about Orania, that little village yes. doing a self-determining thing. And here again, <laughs> we, we hit this, hit this thing. And, yeah. uh, it just fascinates me. And he's, he's, this guy's one of these, Characters that's gonna, that again gets kind of lost in history, although his ideas seem to still be sort of filtering through. Yeah. And he came in as a representative in the Macroland and then he came in from Wodas, then he went to Victoria West. I mean, typical career politician bouncing around wherever he thinks he's going to win his, win his, um, yeah, win his seat. He served in the cabinets of, um, Governor and Minister Scanlon. Again, totally unknown prime minister. And then Cecil John Rhodes. Cecil Rhodes is uh, the character that eventually almost fomented the Second Anglo-Boer War. So Cecil yeah. Rhodes is, again, a guy who left huge, huge, huge footprints in our history. The Merriman resigns, eventually he resigns from the Rhodes administration because uh, there was a thing called the Logan scandal. Again, nothing new. Logan scandal, which is a case of tender fraud for the catering on the Cape Colonial Railways. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you look at Prasa and the Cape Town Railways again at the moment and the locomotives that don't fit the tunnels. And, yeah, what can we say? What can we say? But Merriman, to his credit, was also very, very against the Jamison raid. That raid of the sort of those private buccaneer type characters that came out of Botswana to try and overthrow Kruger in the Transvaal. Yeah. And, uh, he was very against that one. So that, that I think goes, goes to his credit. And he, and he also was very, very active with the British, um, or very anti the British ideals of controlling the mining industry and uh, the political control. So he sort of started moving a little bit towards the, the Africana bond in the Cape. Oh, yes. 
And he, he also investigated. He was part of the commission that investigated the Jamison raid. He formerly served in the prime, in the, in the, in the cabinet of, of, um, Prime Minister Schreiner. And he was also very, very active trying to prevent the outbreak of the Anglo-Boer War. So, you know, so for, so for an English, for an Englishman in the Cape fighting against, against roads and stuff, he was quite an unusual character. He definitely seemed to go against the flow, um, of that, but obviously he didn't manage yeah. to succeed. But in 1908, obviously that's now four years after the Anglo, 1902 to 1906 years after the, the, the Anglo Bull War comes to an end. He actually managed to become prime minister of the Cape Colony with the help of the Afrikaner born. So he obviously had a lot of support from the Afrikaans speaking people. And, uh, he made it as prime minister right up until the union of, of South Africa on the 31st of May. So interesting, just an interesting guy. Boerta offered him a position in the cabinet, but he, but he declined. He, so he didn't want to become a cabinet minister, but he still served as a member of parliament for Stellenbosch. Right up until the end of his career as a member of the, what was called then the South African party. And, um, Merriman, very, very astute politician was very close to General Jan Smuts at the time and was one of the people that warned Smuts about the likelihood of the, of a rebellion in 1914. Oh, yes. Uh, we touched on that one, I think, last podcast. We've, we've been on this, 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 this sort of chat a couple of times where there was this absolute rebellion against the idea of fighting with Britain. Yes. In World War One. And it shows that he was a very, very astute, very, very astute, um, politician and un- understood the, the feelings of the people rather than sort of sitting in this little ivory tower. Because he yeah. realized that there was going to be the rebellion, et cetera, et cetera. So, and he was also one of the critics against the Native Land Act of 1913, which is one of the first acts that dispossessed a lot of people of color of land. But uh, I think where, where he could be remembered is he bought a farm in uh, the late 1800s, which later became, uh, which was called Rustenburg Wines. And there's actually a wine named after him. Okay. So perhaps you need to go and search out a Merriman wine and a little raise a, raise a glass to this guy because uh, I think he was one of the <laughs> a very, very astute politician that somehow got a little bit sidelined and drowned. His voice was drowned out. I think a voice of real reason at the time. Yes. Kind of got ground, that kind of got, um, Drowned out by the nationalism and the sort of the the the, the feelings of the day. Yes. But, anyway, but the N seven, I mean, that's a little bit of serious stuff. So mm-hmm. the N seven heads out heads out north out of Cape Town, and I I actually drove that road a while ago, and I think we actually did did a podcast on that one, where I then turned off and I disappeared up into sort of the. The southern part of the Kalahari. So I didn't do the entire N7, but, uh, the first little yeah. town that you hit is, is Mom, Malmesbury, Malmesbury, where the, <laughs> <Mom'sbury>. <laughs> Mom'sbury, where the, the famous Bray comes from. Yeah. 
And my, my, and, and what, what struck me on that drive up the N7 is that it's, it is super functioning. It is super operational. The fruit farms are going. The vineyards are going. The packing houses are full. The towns are clean. And it's a real kind of inspiration to drive through there because there's so much good happening. And it's a real, that's a really a part of the country that's operating. But Mount, Mountbury, Mountbury, okay, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a little town. It's, it's, it's wines and it's, 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 it's fruit. But I mean, there's a beautiful, there's a, there's a museum in there that's, that's taken over or they took over the old, um, historical synagogue. And there's a lot of the photographic history of Mountbury. There's history on the town. There's some cultural history stuff there. There's a lot about the, the Jewish community of Mountbury. So nice little typical little town museum that goes in there. There's a, a very, very nice Dutch Reformed church that's called the Dutch Reformed Church Swartland. And it's one of it's the okay. fifth oldest it's the fifth oldest Dutch Reformed <laughs> congregation in South Africa and dates right back to eighteen fifty nine. Okay. It collapsed once or twice and it got rebuilt. So obviously the there was a bit of tender stuff going on there and not great builders. And uh <laughs> <laughs> but just a very, very beautiful church to go and look at. I'm a, I'm a great fan of um, the sort of church architecture because I, I still maintain there's a book waiting to be written about the smaller the town, the bigger the church in it in South Africa. <laughs> Barnbury's also got a little 1938 great trek. Centenary Memorial right close by the church. Got a little war memorial and... Again, it's one of the slightly more interesting ones in that this little war memorial commemorates right through from the, what do we call it, the South African War, the Anglo-Boer War, the Second War of Independence, da-da-da, a whole lot. That is That is on there. You've got the First World War. You've got the Second World War. You've got um, okay. the border war, and you've got Korea all on that little memorial, and that's kind of unusual. We haven't, okay, haven't so, seen, yeah, we haven't seen a lot of those where all of those different conflicts are um, represented on, on, on commemorated yeah. on on one um, memorial, and then you've got an interesting little. Little little museum, and it's a little private. It's a private enterprise called the the Baron Verat Muller von Elghaus. Holy crap! Which is <laughs> that's which one is, mouthful. Which is kind of mouthful, but it's what it's the only remaining double story Victorian mansion in Malmesbury. Okay, and it's just a it's just a stunning building, and one that's slightly unusual and kind of doesn't quite fit. Into the rest of the town, if that kind of makes sense. You know, yes. you've got this tiny little Malmbury town, and then suddenly you've got this weird Victorian mansion that sits in there. And it's just, it's just worth driving past and having a look at it. Then we get, as we carry on up north, we get into Mariesburg. Oh, yes. And again, these are, these are tiny little towns, they're little admin towns and like little centers for the fruit farmers. And there's not, there's not much that happens there. 
But in Maria's birth, they've got a 1938 Great Trek centenary monument. And you've, you've heard me on a couple of previous podcasts going on about the Carlford Fro Monument. Oh, yes, yes. It's just that's that's on, on that pass down the Drakensberg, which is such an evocative or such an emotional monument when you look at it. And I, I don't know if they took inspiration for this one here in Mauriusburg from that particular monument, but it's also, it's a, it's a foot tricker lady, foot tricker woman standing yes. there. It's very stylized. I mean, she's standing there and she's like, there's an ox wagon wheel next to her and her hand is on the ox wagon wheel and she's got a cuppy and a bonnet on and a long, long dress and she's holding up some kind of torch. Yeah. And it sounds kind of, I don't know, cliche or something, but somehow that monument just, just, just got me. And, um, we chatted about this before as well. It was, it was unveiled in 1938, 100-year anniversary, the Great Trek Centenary. And that ox wagon called Johanna van der Merwe arrived in the town. We chatted about that one as well. And yes. this particular statue was, was donated by the Frau Landbouvereniging van Gabland, the Women's Agricultural Union of the Cape. Yes. And, uh, that, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a weird one because it's a very nationalistic kind of monument. It's a very cliched kind of monument, but yet it, it, I don't know, it sort of, it just, just hits, it, it hits a chord with me, that one. Yeah. So it's just, out, it's just outside the magistrate's court and it's, it's really, really, really cool. And it's just, it's just worth watching. But what makes Mariasburg slightly more different, it's actually got a little museum there dedicated to the wheat industry. Okay. The Western Cape is wheat wheat country. When you get away from the wines and you get away from the fruit growing areas, you hit wheat. Wheat is a winter winter rainfall product or a winter rainfall crop. So the Western Cape is the only area in the country really that, that um, grows wheat and wheat is obviously bread. Yes. In Mariasburg, there's actually a wheat industry museum. And it's in the old Dutch um, Reformed Mission Church. And in there, there's old agricultural implements and vehicles and the history of the farming. And, but it's a lot of, in, a lot of info on, on the wheat industry. And it just kind of makes yeah. a difference. I don't know of another wheat, wheat museum anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, out of Mariasburg, you keep on going and then you hit the little town of Piketberg. Piketberg. Okay, yes. Piketberg. Again, I mean, as, as I think the further north you go, the smaller the little towns get. But uh, Piketberg, again, beautiful Dutch Reformed church. And uh, just a weird, a weird piece of history. And now, this is not something I found out. But the the minister, a guy named Dr. John William Louis Scoltz, who preached this congregation, was the first first Dutch reform minister ever who was ordained by the raising of his hands. So I'm not sure what uh, how special that is, but that apparently happened yeah. in this <laughs> in this little church. And there's also there's a tiny little um, cultural history museum which tends to fix fix uh, sort of sort of feature the Anglo Boer War up that up, up that side of the world. And also quite a large um, display on the on the Jewish community of the area. 
Yeah. But you know, you know, sort of starting to hit the, the slightly drier areas and you then get into a little town called Citrus Dull. And all of these little towns are operating. They're all based on fruit and canned fruit and peaches and wine and yeah. stuff. There's a little museum in Citrus Dull. That's a little, uh, it's called the Citrus Dull Museum. And so again, it's a little bit of the town history, but a very nice display on the Khoisan communities. Okay. And that's also kind of one of those <clears throat> communities that tends to have been a, a little bit um, forgotten. Yeah. Now you, you're in the Cedarburg area, beautiful landscapes, beautiful rock formations and mountains. And then you get into the town of Clan William. Yes. And Clan William is one of the, one of the older towns. I think it's the, the sixth or seventh, seventh oldest town in South Africa. And one of the more famous inhabitants of Clan William for a little while was C. Louis Leopold, the famous, the, you know, the, the African. Oh, yes. The South African poet and the side of the Afrikaans comedian Tola van der Merwe comes from Clan William. And oh, I, yeah. And I love Tola van der Merwe. He, he definitely yeah. works on my, on my funny bun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, there's this, and there's a very interesting, um, little, little display there on the Khoisan. But if you turn off off the N7, you've got to do a detour. I'm allowed one detour per, per podcast. And <laughs> just outside Clan William, you get out on the R, R364. And a little way out of town is um, actually the grave of C. Louis Leopold. Okay. And uh, his full names are Christian Frederick Louis Leopold. Born 1880, died 1947. And okay. Sabin, yeah, what do you say? Poet, dramatist, medical doctor, which very few people, very few people know because he's never really known as oh. Leopold. He's always yeah. Louis Leopold, but he's a, he was a medical doctor and he was a reporter and he was a food expert. And oh, okay. He was a, uh, We've chatted again. We've chatted about the, the the struggle of Afrikaans and the struggle of um, you know the genootschap for rechte Afrikaners to get Afrikaans as a written language. Afrikaans was only, I think, eventually adopted as an official language in 1925. And Louis Leopold, along with a guy the name of Jan Selia and a J.D. Dutoy, Tosius. They were the, the leading figures of what's called now the, the second Afrikaans movement, which was okay. 1902 to 1925. And these, these are the guys that actually managed to get Afrikaans recognized as an official language. The first movement in the late 1800s was to actually get it as a language. Yeah. Up, in, up until that time, Afrikaans was sort of like kitchen Dutch. It hasn't been recognized as a language. And the Genootskap yeah. Afrikaners, got it recognized as a language and the new grammar, new spelling, new dictionary, new everything else. And then these guys managed to push it to become an official language of South Africa. Yes. So that's, that's an interesting little, little part of the development of the Afrikaans language. 
And, I mean, this guy was an incredible author. I mean, he wrote poetry, he wrote novels, he wrote plays, he wrote short stories, he wrote children's books, he wrote cookbooks, he wrote a travel diary. And oh, my soul. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he, and Leopold was actually a, a real son of Clan William. I mean, his, his father was a, was a, was a Dutch Reformed preaching Clan William. And his great, his grandfather, Johann Gottlieb Leopold, who founded the Rhenish mission in Wuppertal. Wuppertal is not actually that far off there. I mean, during the Anglo-Boer War, he was a reporter. And uh, after the war, he actually did medicine at Guy's Hospital in London. Okay. And interestingly enough, a guy by the name of a botanist, a guy by the name of um, Harry Bolus, actually paid for his studies. So he had a nice. he had a sponsored trip to UK to be to become a, a doctor. And he traveled widely. I mean he went to Europe, he went to North America, he went to the East Indies. And uh he, believe it or not, was actually the personal physician of the American newspaper magnet Joseph Pulitzer. Pulitzer Prize guy? Yeah, yeah. Oh my soul. <laughs> Bolt was actually his personal doctor. On his yacht, on his private oh. yacht, Lochal. Yeah, that is amazing. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just again, one of these funny characters. And I mean, we've chatted about these guys that seem to be like kind of larger than life in the, in these times. I mean, he travels, he writes books, he becomes a doctor, he, he, he travels all over the yeah. world. And he served as a, as a school doctor in London. He served as a medical school inspector in the Transvaal and what is it, the Cape Province. He studied journalism for a while. He settled down as a pediatrician in Cape Town. Um, he adopted a son. He never married and never had a biological child, but he, he adopted a son with Jeffrey Barnett Leopold. And when he eventually died in Cape Town, he his final wish was to actually be de- buried in what's called the Huntam, the Huntam District. And okay. uh, that, that's where his grave is. It's a little, little spot they call the, the, the Puckhouse Pass. Just outside okay. of Canada. Yeah. And, uh, just another interesting little, spot, little thing is that just, just above his grave or his ashes were spread, uh, you can actually still see some sand, some sand rock paintings. And when his adopted yes. son was, and eventually when his adopted son died, his son's ashes were spread on his father's grave. That's just kind of also Yeah, kind of, that's that's yeah. Just kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah. Yeah, then okay, am I am I allowed a second detour? Not real. <laughs> that's kind of yes, you may. So the incident, we we oh, we're on Clan William, we just gone and we just visited the Cedarburg. <laughs> this you gotta go into the Cedarburg Mountains. Again, the the scenery and the geology in the Cedarburg is just just incredible. Yes. But uh, as you go up the N7 now, now the N7 has gone away from the old wagon tracks and from the old the old ox wagon route. But just yes. a, a little bit, a little way off on the west of the N7 is a little cave called the Heeren Logement. Heeren Logement, if you translate that, means um, the lodging for gentlemen. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's a cave. And it's an amazing little spot because there's there's all sorts of things engraved on the walls and stuff. And it um been there for like over four hundred years. Oh wow. And 
you look at the names on the cave and they, they, they reckon there's about, um, 130 odd engravings on this, on this cave wall. But you're talking about people like Simon van der Stel. Yes. Shaman yes. of the Cape. You're talking about his predecessor, Olaf Berg. And ah. you, again, you're looking at uh, Francois Vailant. Vailant. Uh, my French is not, not that great, but uh, that was one of the, the most famous naturalists of the time that went and collected specimens all over the world. And all yes. of these guys have engraved their names on the wall of this cave. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And Van der Stel was on his way. Van der Stel at the time was actually on his way to go and explore because there were rumors of huge copper deposits up further north. And we get to that when you get to the little town of Springbok, which yes. is um, also... Also on, on, on the N7, Sprungbok is one of the major little towns on route. Now, I think we might have chatted about Sprungbok once or twice before, but Van der Stel was actually up there in a the little spot there called Van der Stel's Cave and all that kind of stuff up that way. But Van der Stel actually stayed in this cave and wrote his name actually, um, on the wall. And then yeah. we get right next door to the Hero Logiment is one of our Anglo-Boer War blockhouses. And this is one of the blockhouses that was brought, brought to my attention by, um, Simon Green. When he gave oh, yes. the book of his to put onto the uh, onto onto the app, and yes. there's nothing really super special about this one particular blockhouse. But what fascinates me about this one is how far out it is. You're talking a couple of hundred kilometers just to the north of Cape Town, and not that far from the coastline. It's just just we we talk a little bit here north, a little bit north of um, Lambert's Bay. Yes. You know, so the British found it necessary to start to protect these kind of spots already from the Boers. Yeah. And this is, I don't know, seven, eight hundred kilometers from the Transvaal and the Free State. Yes. So just. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And again, like I said, you know, the, when, when, when I put all these spots, <clears throat> On, onto the app, it made me realize the size and scale of this one. And this particular one, it's on a little farm called the Graafwater Farm. And it's a, it's a corrugated iron blockhouse. I mean, they had a couple of different designs. They had them on a corrugated iron circle ones and square ones. And they had ones made of, 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 of stone blocks. And, you know, yes, mentioned that they seem to have a competition to build the hottest um, blockhouse in the UK. And they chose that one. And this particular one is one of 500. Okay. Now imagine a line of 500 blockhouses to sure. run from Victoria West to Lambert's Bay. Yeah. That's, wow. That's, that's why that's one blockhouse line. Victoria West to Lambert's Bay. Every single one of those blockhouses within sight of the next one. Yeah. And each one of those blockhouses with 10 or 15 or 12 troops in it, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. I mean, insane, insane manpower. Yeah. And just, 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 just crazy stuff. And, uh, from, from, from here on Logement, et cetera, et cetera. Now we, now we head up to Van Reinsdorp. Now Van Reinsdorp has got really, really strange memories for me. Uh, many, many years ago, I I did a little 
overland overland trip when we did my first time ever in the West Coast. I think my son oh, yes. was like two or three years old. Old Land Rover Discovery, and we hit Van Rainsdorp. And the family still talks about it today because it's one like one of these family family <laughs> legends <laughs> that we we come out of out of out of out of Joburg, hit the west coast, and spent some time in in um, Honderclip Bay. And Honderclip Bay came down to Lambeth Bay, and it was a really really like a trip. But yes. we popped into Van Rainsdorp to um, to resupply. Yes, uh, I'm, and I'm really I'm not trying to be nasty to the inhabitants of Van Rainsdorp or in any way do anything. But, I mean, we stop in Van Rainsdorp and find the supermarket, get out to get into the shop, and we do our shopping. And it was almost like one of these zombie movies where yeah. it felt like all these people like watching you. <laughs> and you walk down the aisle and people would stop and they'd look at you. Yeah. Eventually, my wife and I are like just throwing stuff in the trolley because now I want to get out of here because this is starting to get a bit of a We pay when we get to the car and we're busy packing in the car. We're busy throwing the, the, the packets, the plastic bags and stuff into the boot of the car. My son had been put in his baby chair and a lady just walks up to my wife, completely silent, just walks up to my wife and gently touches her on the shoulder and runs her hand down her arm and goes, ooh. Well, that was it, Dave. Okay. That was okay. it. Packers just got thrown in the car. They uh, they spilled over. There was tomatoes and onions and vegetables everywhere. The doors got shut closed and we were out of there. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is weird. So, so fun rain storm holds, holds kind of weird memories for me. And I think that it wasn't ghosts. Yeah, no, spooks or zombies or something in fundraiser. But I think that previous podcast we did, I actually came up to Rainsburg and then I hit up the R27 to go into yeah. sort of the, the, yeah, what do you want to call it? The, the southern, the southern part of the northern Cape area. So, but Van Rainsdorp is actually a very, very pretty little town. And, uh, like I said, nothing personal against the inhabitants of Van Rainsdorp, but it was just a, a bit of a bit of a weird, a weird little experience that we had there. But I mean, there's, there's, yeah. a, there's a little museum in the old jail in Van Rainsdorp, and uh, it used to be a little museum, but now it's now become a little arts and arts and crafts spot. And the West Coast, the whole West Coast, is definitely a, an arts and crafts haven. Um, you've got a 1938 Great Trek Memorial there, but what is super interesting in Van Rainsburg, in Van Rainsdorf, is you actually got a radio museum. It's called the Latsky Rain Radio Museum. Okay. And the entire museum is dedicated to radios and the development of radios or what called broadcast receivers. That's actually what a radio is. It's a yes. broadcast receiver. Yeah. And these 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 things date back right to 1915. And the most amazing display of radios and radio stuff in this little museum in Van Rainsdorp. I would like to. And I've never quite worked out why Van Rainsdorp cracks the honor of having a radio museum. Yeah. But yeah, it's there and it's really cool to go and visit. It's worth a stop in Van Rainsdorp or Van Rainsdorp to actually go and have a look at it. 
It's also the site of one of the very few Afrikaans language monuments. Well, not few. I mean, I think we, what, what, what did we have that last count? I think we had 13. 13, I think. I think it was 13 language, language monuments. So, um, yeah. there's one of them here is in Van Rijsdorp. And there's again, there's a 1988 Great Trek Memorial. Yes. So Van Rijsdorp, Van Rijsdorp, in spite of my zombie experience there, does have some, some really cool stuff to have a look at it. I, I remember that other podcast I was going from Rainsdorp. We went from Rainsdorp to Nivotsville. Nivotsville, we went up to Lurisfontein. Yes, yes. I remember Lurisfontein to the Windmill Museum. Yeah. Our mission there was the, was the Windmill Museum. So, so Van Rainsdorp was the turnoff point on that, on that last, on that last, um, podcast. So the N7 now that we're continuing up north is now new territory for podcasts and we're now seriously in the in what's called the West Coast area. Um, the first part just out of Van Rijswal is called the Knarsflakte. That name comes from yeah. the Knarsflakte. Yeah, seriously. And that comes <laughs> from the noise of the stones and stuff. Knarsing, make that Knars sound. Um, oh. Oh, um, that's interesting. And under the wheel. So it's the noise. And I mean, you're talking about long, this is now serious eitgestrekte flactus and that kind of stuff. And oh, yeah. Again, it's the most beautiful scenery. It's a, you're starting with the, with the quiver trees, the kuakarbuma and those, you know, it's just, it's just absolutely stunning, stunning desert scenery as you start and get up north here. But, um, your first little town again that you hit there is Haris. Haris. Again, and what we've got here in Haris is again one of these Anglo Boer War blockhouses. And I'm still trying to work out the strategic value of blockhouses in this area. Yeah, I mean you're way out of yeah. the, out of the, the, the main theater of war in the Free State and, and the Transvaal, but yet you're out here on the far west coast. And there's a, there's a little fort right up in the copies there. And, um, one of the Anglo Boer War blockhouses. So you, 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 you get in there and you have a look and you go kind of, wow, these poor oaks that I went in there and stayed there and were bivouac there or stationed there for a couple of months. Yeah. It's right next to, a little spot called the Letter Clip. Okay. And the Letter Clip gets its name again from the, um, the Anglo Boer War because all the regiments actually put their badges and officers' names and stuff. They engraved it on the rock face just next to the fort. Okay. And, that, 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 and that's kind of cool. It's just, yes, just yeah. interesting, interesting little, 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 little spot to. To, to stop it. <clears throat> then we head up the N7 and we get to a little spot and it's kind of in the middle, in the middle of nowhere. It's in an area called the Brannenweinkorp Kloof. <laughs> the West Coast That's is where, the, the West <laughs> Coast is one of these treasure houses of beautiful names. 
And we hit a, a little little spot there, and it's the grave of a guy by the name of Charles Data. And it's just to the south of a town called Kamiskroen. Okay. And uh, he was a South African-born British officer, and he was a lieutenant in the Namekulan Border Scouts, one of these colonial regiments that was raised um, to fight against against the Boers. And he was actually shot from his horse by a Boer sniper. Okay. Uh, Although we, we, you know, we chat about, you know, why, why are these blockhouses and stuff there? There was obviously activity in the, in, in this area. Yeah. And the legend, the legend about, and the, the bit that makes this interesting is that the legend is that his grave and the immediate land around it, about a hundred square, 120, 130 odd square meters belongs to Britain. So there's a little British enclave in the middle of the Macroland. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> But um, the actual story, the legend is that it's British, but it's not. And the actual story of the land in which the grave is located was actually expropriated from the owner by by the Cape Colonial Government. So the Cape Colonial Government said, excuse me, we want these 120 square meters and we're going to put a grave here, and this now belongs to the Cape Colony and not to the farmer. But yes. um, an interesting little tie, though, is if you go into the Springbok Cafe, which is a little bar in in, in the town of Springbok, yeah, there's a there's a little memorial on one of the the, the the shelves there, and it's the hoof, the hoof of the horse that belonged to this guy. Oh, and, okay. and it's on display in, in the pub up in um, in Springbok. Okay. <laughs> That's a weird well, the, West, the West Coast Oaks are different, eh? Yeah, totally. The West, the West Coast, the West Coast guys are very, very different. <clears throat> and as you're going on north, you get into the little town of Kamiskuren, and again, you know the the building of note there is the the Dutch Reformed Church, the Namakulan Dutch Reformed Church. Just again, a beautiful, beautiful little, little church there. But we're now in the area, Kamiskroen, and as you go up to Springbok, Haris, just over to the, to the west is Hondeklebai. And you okay. now, and this is now the area which is really, really in the Macro land. And this is flower territory. This yeah. Is where every year. Depending on the rains, comes at a late August, first couple of weeks in September. This place yes. is carpeted, absolutely carpeted in flowers. And yes. I've got a, I've got a favorite memory of Kami's because whenever you go to this area, you never really know where the flowers are. Yeah. Yeah. You've always got to stop somewhere and you sort of do a best guess. Okay. I'll stay in Springbok. I'll stay in Kami's I'll stay in Harisu. I'll stay wherever it is. And then you go there and then, then, then you gotta ask the locals where, where are the flowers? And then you gotta uh, hunt to go and find these beautiful yeah. flower displays. And sometimes a couple of hundred kilometers on the day that you gotta to drive to go and find these flowers. Yeah. But I remember getting into Kamiskrun and the entire town was just a carpet of flowers. Every single garden wow. pavement, every single open plot of land, absolutely everything was just covered, absolutely covered. In um, orange and yellow daisies, absolutely amazing. Yeah. 
So, you know, that the time to go to this area is obviously late August, September, and just, just tour around. Be prepared to drive the dirt roads and go and hunt down those flowers. And it's just, just an amazing, absolutely amazing. Yeah. But your next, your next town as you're heading up north now is Springbok. And Springbok is actually quite a, quite a considerably sized town. You've got a beautiful reserve just out on the on the eastern side called the Hukap Nature Reserve. And the what? Uh, I've, I've stayed I've stayed in the reserve before. Absolutely stunning reserve. Beautiful four by four tracks, and stars and stuff at night are just unbelievable. And it's one of those one of the best places to actually go and go and see the flowers if if you can get the um accommodation. It's about four and a half thousand hectares of of um, what they call sandy meadowland, and yeah. they reckon somewhere in the region of six hundred indigenous plants are found in this in this reserve, and it's also the home of a, of a little spot called the Hester Malan Flower Garden, and that's a little spot that really showcases a lot of the succulents and a lot of the more special flowers and plants that you can find out that area. So yes. <clears throat> An interesting spot when you go into Springbok is the Dutch Reformed Church. And something we've never worked out about this Dutch Reformed Church in Springbok is that it's got a Star of David above the front door. Okay. Yeah, that's unusual. And, yeah. <clears throat> and <clears throat> it's, and we've never found out why. It has to be that it was probably the first synagogue or it was a Jewish home or something or whatever. But even my historian professor, Emil, who does yeah. the history on, on, on the site, cannot find out why there is a Star of David above the front door on the Dutch Reformed Church in Springbok. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a bit of a strange one. Yeah. But right next door is a beautiful Demacrolet Museum. Lots and lots and lots of stuff. And and what what interests me with this one is you've got the Star of David on the Dutch Reformed Church, and literally 50, 60 meters away is the Demacrolet Museum. And the Demacrolet Museum is situated in the town's historic synagogue. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you've got the synagogue, which is a museum. Next door, you've got the Dutch Reformed Church. We've got the Star of David on, above the door. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 we, yeah. we, we can't, we cannot, we cannot work that out. <laughs> the first commercial copper mine, believe it or not, in, is actually in Springbok. And that's a great big hole in the ground. And you can look at the rocks and you can see the rocks have got like this weird, funny, weird blue, blue color to them. And you can, you can stop and you walk up a little path and you've got a little viewing deck over this big hole. It's not, it's yeah. certainly, not, certainly not on the scale of, of Kimberley and stuff, but yeah, yeah. It's still, it's an interesting spot to have a look at. And the geology guys will, will really enjoy it. Springbok also has the strange distinction of having the oldest Anglican church in South Africa. Okay. Built in 1921, oldest Anglican church. The Anglicans are not at the level of Gerard Murdaik and stuff. But yeah, uh, so it's not a not a not a 
a great architectural design, but it's just interesting from a historical point of view. Yes. And just close close by there is what the, what's called the Founders Monument um, of Springbok. And Springbok was an, initially called Springbok Fontaine. Oh, okay. was I didn't know that. Laid, yeah, was laid out on the farm Melkbosch Kale. Okay. And the farm was bought for a whole 750 pounds <laughs> from the farmer. Wow. And they bought it there because they, they realized that the copper deposits were there. And, uh, the idea was then to buy the farm and, and, um, set out the town. But, yeah. Uh, Eventually, the Fontaine thing was dropped, and then Springbok just Springbok Fontaine became Springbok. Yeah, and then Springbok is a really—it's a kind of haphazard little town. Like it's, the guys didn't really lay it out properly. The roads are all curvy and bent and corners, and nothing, nothing straight in Springbok. But when you get to—that <laughs> sounded very weird. <laughs> <laughs> But when you get to the middle of town, there's a whole gaggle of little spots in like on like a little copy that's in the middle of town. Yeah. And there's there's a little it's, it's called the clip copy, and there's little there's little memorials, little forts, and there's the Namaquiland uprising. There's a border war and police memorial, which is kind okay. of interesting because there's very few border war memorials as such. You know, there's there's lots of war memorials, but there's not many border war memorials. Yeah, the border war up in Namibia. So, so there's yeah. there's that on that little copy. Um, it's a, it's uh, they're all situated in like a little tiny um, botanical garden there in the middle of town. There's a nice yes. great trick memorial on that copy as well. There's remains of an old fort. Which was part of the Anglo Boer War, so I'm not sure it was, it's going to be classified as a um, as a blockhouse. Yeah, but um, it's still there in amongst those little rocks. And then there's an interesting one, and it's called the Joseph Joel Square, also on the clip copy. And okay, it's named after a local entrepreneur and mayor. And he established what was then called Namaquiland Airlines. Oh, and wow. Namaquiland Airlines was the airline that flew between Springbok and Cape Town. Okay. I'm not sure how long Namaquiland Airlines actually survived. But interesting, interesting idea that there was a little airline that was specifically set just for that. But then yeah. as, as you as you leave Springbok now, now you're heading into serious northern northern Cape Province, and and we've got a, only a, a couple of little spots now that we've just got to chat about before we hit, actually hit the Fiordstrand border with Namibia. But yeah. the little town, and I love the little name of this town, Nababip. Uh, say again, Nababip, Nababip, Nababip. And these are tiny okay. little towns, okay? These are tiny little towns made up of little, little like, clapboard houses, real little mining towns. And in in Nababip is the museum that belongs to what's called the Okip Copper Mining Company, and a very, very interesting museum on copper mining. Yeah. The mine I don't think operates anymore. And the mine, the 
copper and the and the, and and what have you in this area were actually discovered by Governor Simon van der Stel. Okay, van der Stel managed to make it all the way up this far out of Cape Town on one of his little exploration um, missions. And up, if you take if you take the main road out of Springbok and head out towards the the coast, is uh, actually a spot. I think it's called Van der Stel's Cave, where Van der Stel actually actually spent a couple of days in one yes. of these. And at the museum, there's a beautiful old historic locomotive. It's called the Clara Clara locomotive, and uh, <coughs> used for a long time. It was actually used for over sixty years. On okay, the, wow. the line, yes. bringing copper in from from the mines, and then just just to the right, or just to the not to the right, or just just to the east of the N7, you got the old mine pit. So you can actually see the old mine pit on a keep where the copper was coming out, and you can see some of the old mine buildings, what they call the old ventilation shaft, is like a great big chimney thing, which is used to force ventilation yes. up out of out of the pit. <coughs> And you got a couple of old water towers and things on the main road as you as you're driving out, and that, and that was all for the railways. So they built a special railway that went yeah. from from Springbok and went out all the way to Port Nolith. And Port okay. Nolith was the harbour for export because that was yes, yes. the the, um, the easiest way to get it out to the shortest railway route. And then yeah. you've got a a slightly somber kind of little spot. And it's the last spot we're going to chat about on the N7 because just north of this one, you actually hit the Fjordstrup border with the, um, with, with Namibia. Yeah. And it's called the Kinderle monument. Kinderle, the lie down children monument. Yeah. And it's in honor of 32 sand children who were killed there. And the sand, previously known as the Bushmen, they've always been kind yeah. of regarded as almost like a kind of subhuman, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they were really... Yes. They, they, it was a, it's a, their history is a horrible story. So a really horrible story of persecution and of, dis, of land disownership and chasing away and killing and slavery. And yes. And, and this this story kind of highlights what what actually happened to the sand. And the sand are the architects of all the beautiful rock art and stuff around South Africa, and thousands of rock art paintings around the country from them. And these were thirty two children that were killed by the workers of a local Nama landowner. Okay, and the workers. And it's it's a strange story because the workers were unhappy about being punished and the, and the workers were being punished because a horse had died on the farm. And somehow these workers blamed the sand. And yeah. they attacked they attacked the sand village while the adults were out of church service. Sure. So horrible, horrible story. But for me it's kind of a Poignant one because it it, it 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 sort of encapsulates the utter discrimination and disregard that the sand people yeah have had in South Africa and a very interesting little little thing I found on a trip that I did once to Port Nolith. Port Nolith had at that point a very very 
cute little town museum. And as far as I know, it's unfortunately been moved from where it was and been put into some other premises. I don't know what's left of that little museum. But when we went, yeah. there was actually a, a copy of a permit to hunt Bushmen. No. Are you serious? I'm being very serious. Up until 19, I speak under correction, I think it was up until 1935. You wow. can buy a permit to go and hunt Bushmen. That is just and, awful. Yeah, I, 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 I can't explain that one, but it just shows the kind of attitude yeah. that was there towards the sand up at, at the time. Yeah. So that's that. Unfortunately, is just the history. So that's a kind of a somber note to to end that one on. But N seven N seven absolutely stunning, stunning highway. It intersects at Springbok. It intersects with the N fourteen, which is the one that heads up through Pofara, Kakamas, and to Abington or Krabi's Falls and stuff. Which is absolutely yeah. stunning, stunningly beautiful countryside. But the N the N seven. If you're going up up that highway, beautiful, beautiful area to go to. You've got Honoklip Bay there. You've got Port Nolith. You've got Oranjement. You've got Lambert's Bay. You've got all these kind of spots to go and explore. We haven't even touched any any of those, which we can do on another podcast off the main highway. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, N- the N7 is definitely worth exploring, and those little towns hold a whole little treasure trove of exciting spots and places to go and see. Yes. Cool. Okay, Minya. We will we will chat again awesome. for our next appointment. I think we're done for this one. Yes. Awesomeness. And uh yeah, see you on the next one. Like uh Thank you, Minya. Okay, well, thank okay. you. Okay, cheers. But, uh, yeah, bye.